This morning we're going to we're going to start a new sermon series for the next couple of weeks together. It's a sermon series that we've entitled Unseen. And it's kind of unique in that it revolves around the conversation, the topic of, of something we talk about in churchy circles, the, the, the topic of spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare, just those two uh, very simple words, are often used uh, in, in church circles in, in ways that we, we don't talk an awful lot about. We use them, we, we kind of know what that means, and if you've grown up in the church, you've heard messages, series, you've been a part of uh, small group studies or, or, or uh, Sunday school topics about spiritual warfare. You've read books yourself, maybe. Uh, but if you haven't grown up in the church, th- th- that term, spiritual warfare, may come uh, as a little bit of a surprise, a little confusing to some in our midst this morning. And I say, all the better. Let's have the conversation together. Last, last week, uh, Pastor Chris George, Chris and Melissa George were here visiting uh, from Australia as they are home for several months as they're raising support to go back to Australia. And we had the privilege of having Pastor Chris here and preach a message to us. And he was talking about uh, giving us an update on, on what life is like and ministry is like there in Australia. And one of the, the phrases that he used in uh, context of uh, kind of the, the attitude of the, the, the national attitude in Australia, uh, he used the phrase and it went like this, no worries mate, I can't do it in Australian accent, I, I practiced in front of the mirror this morning, it doesn't work, but the phrase goes this way, no worries mate, she'll be right. And he spent some time right at the beginning of his message talking about that attitude of she'll be right. Some of his best friends still have that attitude. And really that phrase, no worries mate, she'll be right, reflects a national stoicism. An idea that suggests that everything, the she in that phrase, she'll turn out fine in the end. And that, that idea, this being the case, means that there's no real point in worrying about anything in this life. That attitude kind of permeates the Australian culture. And as I was sitting right here on the front row last week, I was reminded just how not far off we are here in the United States from that same kind of attitude. This idea of spiritual warfare, this idea that there's something beyond our vision, a a battle being waged right beyond our physical vision is something that some of us understand, some of us think about, some of us from time to time have an attitude. But here in the States, we have an attitude that says, you know what, when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to spiritual things, it'll all work out in the end. We have our own phrases, don't we? It is what it is. If you believe that, that's fine. I'll believe what I want to believe. Uh, my grandma believed that kind of stuff, right? We, we have the same kind of a, a lackadaisicalness when it comes to spiritual matters in our culture as well. And this morning, I, I'm seeking for us together to realign our understanding. I, I believe it's a trick of the enemy for us to focus solely on the physical, on, on the here and now, on the what is tangible, what is in the flesh, what we can see and hear and touch and taste and smell right, right here and now. The first reminder that I want us to nail down together this morning. The first thing, if you're taking notes, if you're following along on the Bible app this morning, the first thing that I think is absolutely a necessity for us to understand is that we live in a physical world and a spiritual world. 
We are not just here on a planet of land and water. We are here existing in a world with dimensions that we don't understand and we don't see very often. This morning, I want to realign our thinking to the the things unseen, the things that are going on beyond our physical vision that we don't take a lot of time to talk about. In fact, the prayer, my prayer as your pastor, is an echoed prayer that's been being prayed for centuries. It was a prayer prayed initially by the, the prophet Elisha upon his servant. And my prayer goes a little something like this. So Lord, open our eyes and let us see. I want to look at uh, an Old Testament passage to start out this morning from the book of 2 Kings. It's a fascinating passage of Elisha and his servant and a, a, a war, a potential war that was about to break out. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. God's word says this. It's absolutely fascinating. Starting with verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and he would say, I've got an idea. We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place. For the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. This upset the king of Aram. The king of Aram became very upset and he called his officers together and he demanded, which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my my plans to overthrow? Verse 12, it's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Verse 13, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. Can you read between the lines? Of what the king of Aram wants to do to Elisha, the prophet of God? The report came back. We found him. Uh, Elisha is in Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround that city. Verse 15. When the servant of Elisha got up early the next morning and went outside for his first cup of coffee, he looked out. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And he said, Oh, sir, what will we do now? Elisha, man of God, in tune with what God is capable of, in verse 16 says this, Don't be afraid, Elisha told his servants, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed this prayer, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The very next phrase, the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. If you grew up like I did in the church, this was like one of the best flannel graph lessons in Sunday school. Because you got to see some fiery chariots. 
And I just want to remind you that as this story takes place, this is a real story from God's Word. And I want to remind you that Elisha didn't have any Hollywood special effects at his disposal. There were no projectors available and electricity run to project this idea on a mountainside of God's army at the ready. Rather... What God did in this moment is gave Elisha and his servant this peek behind the curtain. If you have a kid's Bible, I just invite you, I encourage you, see if there's any artistic renderings. It's so much fun to see how many different people have imagined this story. Take a look at your kid's Bible this afternoon. Look up 2 Kings chapter 6 and see what it looks like. It's so fun. God gave these two a peek behind the curtain to show what he had prepared to do. The story continues, and it's fascinating what God does, and he blinds this army according to Elisha's prayer, and it's absolutely fanciful. It's awesome. Take a look this afternoon. In this case, Elisha and his servant are given a peek behind the curtain and shown a glimpse of God's army ready for battle. As I read this passage, and I've read it my whole life, can I just be honest with you? I've prayed that God would give me a peek. Let let, let me see what's going on, just beyond the roof. And, And I don't know if it's because God knows I have a weak heart that he hasn't yet. I haven't seen, I haven't had visions, I had some conversations, even uh, right in between services with some people that God has blessed with some visions of the unseen. And it's fascinating to me. In, in my life, my, my understanding or my uh, veil being torn a little bit from my vision came through a, 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 fiction, a Christian fiction author by the name of Frank Peretti. He writes some pretty incredible books. One of them, uh, practically, I like to say it, it changed my life as a, a preteen or a teenager. It's called This Present Darkness, and it's a powerful fictional but biblically grounded work. It's a novel, and it's worth the read, not for the timid in heart. Here's what a reviewer says about this present darkness on the review that they wrote on Amazon. The story portrays the unseen heavenly actions of God and his angels, as well as the deceitful and conniving works of the devil, who only works to destroy the saints of God. I personally would recommend this story to all age of readers because it emphasizes the love of God towards his people, the power of God above Satan, and the need and importance of a praying church of Christ. This present darkness, the book, reveals the truth that without prayer to God, anyone, Christian or non, can fall under the lie and deceptions of the devil. The book really uh, is this wonderful novel about things unseen and how uh, God's army, God's angelic beings are really interacting with human beings on a day-to-day, hourly basis. And we can't see it with our physical eye, but we can know his presence and his ability. And if I'm honest, before I ever read Frank Peretti, all I ever knew about angels were that they were tree toppers like this picture. Do you guys remember angels looking like this? Angels are cute, right? Either they're on top of a Christmas tree or they're on a shelf and not to be touched and made of ceramic. (laughs) After reading Frank Peretti's accounts of what angels are more like according to biblical, they look a little bit more like this in my mind now. 
I'm working on a tattoo. Can you imagine that right there? Maybe, maybe right there. Um, angels weren't that interesting to me as a kid when they sat on top of a tree. But having a little bit of a peek into the what-ifs, a little bit of a peek into the in-between lines of Scripture, some things that we know from Scripture, some things that we can infer, we truly have a spiritual world around us that we can know more about. I told you before that another book that was foundational in my uh, growing up to change my perspective on the things unseen is a a work by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis, I believe, inspired by God, writes this fictional account, this correspondence between enemies, demons, as they are seeking to interrupt mankind. And whether as Elisha's servant were given the physical ability of seeing the unseen or in my story, in my life, something helps us to acknowledge the reality. We must come to grips every day, I believe, with the truth that we live in a physical world and a spiritual world. Now there's some caution that I need to talk to us about. When we come to grips with this, when we assert this reality, when we acknowledge the fact that there's an unseen world around us, there's usually two opposite sides of the spectrum of acknowledging this truth. The risk is real. Asserting this reality of physical and spiritual is often either overemphasized or underemphasized. The overemphasis of this truth is often seen in things that are marked as entertainment in our culture. There seems to be a prevailing desire uh, within our culture to be entertained by things unseen, by seeking to uh, see things that are unseeable or, 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 or communicate with the unseen. Let me say it in as strong of a way as I can. When the lines are blurred between light and darkness, when someone or something encourages us to think that light and darkness are similar, I pray that red flag after red flag after red flag alerts you to stay away. Under emphasis in the knowledge of a spiritual world that we live in, uh, again, is the lifestyle or a mindset that disregards anything beyond what I can see and touch and feel. It's that live for today attitude that would rather continue not acknowledging the spiritual world around us and a literal war that's being waged for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. You just heard me say that phrase. And maybe, maybe you struggle with that phrase. You would say something like, Stephen, is there really a war going on? Is there really something going on beyond our vision? Is there really, is there really a war, a battle taking place between good and evil? The only way I can answer that is by telling you that the Bible tells us so. I trust God's word to direct my life and the way I am to live my life. 
Ephesians chapter 6 is where I want to spend some time this morning and for the next couple of weeks together. We're going to study this foundational truth of what God's Word says about what's going on around us and what that means for us. The book of Ephesians is a a letter from the Apostle Paul. He was a missionary to churches. He planted churches across the world, the Eastern world. And he writes this letter to early Christians in the city of Ephesus. And uh, scholars think that this letter probably uh, uh, traveled around and was encouraging to many other churches, just as it is today here in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Paul, in his whole letter to the church at Ephesus, emphasizes uh, the opportunities for Christians to work to fulfill God's purposes on earth. I, I think the book of Ephesians really reads like a job description for you and me as Christian believers, as those following after Christ. It gives us the what are we here to do list. In this book, there's reminders of unity in the faith, of growing into spiritual maturity and personal maturity and purity, the pursuit of holiness, relational wholeness. And Paul wraps up this Christian job description here in chapter 6 this way. Allow God's Word to speak to your heart. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Inspired by God, Paul pens these words. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means to us and how it directs our steps. It is a light to our path. Lord, I pray again upon each of us here this morning that you would open our eyes to the things unseen, that you would remind us of what the battle is all about and how we can rely upon you and you alone. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at four foundational truths. If you're keeping notes, number them down, one through four. It's powerful to remember these foundational truths from uh, what we see about the unseen world according to Ephesians chapter 6. First, there's some bad news i got to share with you. The first is this. You and I were born into a spiritual war. Verse 12 again says it this way. We are not fighting against the flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. I don't know if, uh, if you're like me, but uh, do you ever watch a, a show or a movie that is set in some kind of a, uh, at least a sensible narrative, more realistic And you're entertained by these 17 episodes of this show. And as soon as it's over, as soon as the credits are over, as soon as the movie has finished, you begin to look at things around you and wonder how much of that was true life. 
How many of those uh, actors who portrayed uh, somewhat real people, how many of those true stories that have been adapted for the screen are going on even here and now? For me, uh, one of the things that I have enjoyed many times are, are military movies. Sometimes they're very hard to watch. But I've grown to have an appreciation for our men and women in military, much of so because of some of the things I've watched on screen. It blows me away every single time to see these true life narratives adapted for screen. Yeah, the story's been changed a little bit, but the true life experiences of men and women who've put their lives on the line for the likes of us to serve their country, to serve people they'll never meet, to be thrust into scenarios that they could never have adequately planned for. It's overwhelming. The reality of many people who are experiencing life, and sometimes because of those storylines that run through my head, I kind of interpret life and wonder as I read headlines or as I watch the evening news, I wonder how many of those stories are going on even right now. Similarly, you and I have been brought into a world that we couldn't have completely planned for. We have been brought into a world that is at war constantly. And Paul reminds us in this letter that it's not like the wars we we read about in uh, the internet. It's not like the wars we hear about in the evening news. It's not from uh, a war that we expect between country and country, but rather it's a spiritual war that's being waged between a holy God and the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And the news gets worse. You don't have a choice of enlisting or not in the battle that's taking place. We are automatically, since we are brought into this world, we are automatically thrust into this unseen battle. There's no pause button like there is in the games we play. There's no timeout. All around us is a battle taking place, a battle between good holy, perfect, and utter evil. The battle's taking place for the souls of mankind. And let's make no mistake about what's at stake, what's being fought for. The second truth reminds us what the battle is all about. The second truth is this. You and I have a real enemy who is seeking to destroy you. There is a real enemy. Verse 11 says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Schemes, purposes. The battle being waged just beyond our vision is not for land rights. It's not for oil rights. It's not to see who's got the bigger or better weaponry. It's not for boasting. The battle being waged, the war being fought is for the souls of humanity. Scripture talks briefly of a rebellion of angels led by Satan himself and his tireless efforts to lead as many souls away from eternity with God. You and I have a real enemy and his purpose in life is to destroy you. Do you need a little recap on how the enemy works? His attempts at destroying you? John chapter 8, verse 44. Powerful words. 
You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do as the evil. You love to do the evil things he does. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus, again, in John chapter 10, verse 10, reminds us that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. The devil is a murdering, lying, prowling lion. Seeking to destroy, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. These are not positive characteristics in any stretch of a definition. These are his purposes, his strategies, his tactics, his schemes, his pursuits. His agenda is singular. It is to destroy, to lead astray, to cause others to fall away as he has done, to spend eternity separated for eternity from the presence of our holy, perfect God. And I don't want to say it, but it's true. He's good at what he does. He's not a novice. He's not a DIYer. He's a pro. He's been doing it for centuries. And let me also say this. Contrary to most pop culture references in our world today, the goal of the enemy is not to show us a good time. His goal is not to please you. His goal is not to win you over. His goal is not even to earn your trust. His ultimate goal is singular. The devil. Satan. His pursuit is to destroy you. He wants to ruin you. He wants your end to be his. Eternal separation from a loving, holy, perfect Father. Should we just go home? That's the bad news. I'm not going to dismiss you without telling you the good news. If the message ended here this morning, we would all, I think, go to our cars and say, woe is me. What am I doing? But the scripture is clear. Here's the good news. Third foundational truth. We've got to get this. We have armor to protect us. You have been given armor. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. The Bible does not leave us without a strategy for protection. Yes, the battle is real. Paul's command Put on God's armor. It is available for your protection. It's able to withstand the strategies of the devil. There's some body armor available for those who trust in the Lord. There is a way out. The battle is real. The war is happening. The enemy is seeking every hour of every day to destroy you. But you are not without a righteous response. Hope is not lost. The battle isn't over. 
We do not ever have to cower in defeat to the enemy. We don't need to surrender. The full armor of God is our number one offense and defense in a battle that is being waged for our souls today. This is where we're going to spend a couple of weeks together learning again how to put on the armor of God, what it is capable of doing in our life here and now. The big reminder is the fourth truth this morning. Your strength is in the Lord. A final word, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on his God's armor. Do you, do you feel strong? Do you feel strong some days? Do you wake up feeling strong? Do you eat your Wheaties? Do you feel stronger some days than others? Anybody else? I was feeling pretty strong a couple Fridays ago with my day off. Woke up. It's time to do some man stuff outside. So I borrowed an electric chainsaw. Kind of wimpy. I cut down seven trees on our property. Proud of me? Some of them are like this big around. <laughs> cut down seven trees. Guess who helped me? Nobody. Guess who was feeling strong? This guy. Guess who didn't want to wake up the next morning? <laughs> you feel strong some days? Physically, I feel strong on certain days and I feel weak on other days. There are hours that go by where I'm feeling good about what I need to do and there are some hours when I'm like, oh, I hope someone will help. Spiritually too, there are days, there are seasons where I feel strong. There are days and seasons when I feel weak. And I think we as human beings, we as Christians, sometimes fall into that autopilot disaster that exists. We're much like we feel like we're going strong until something surprises us, like a heart attack out of nowhere, like a cancer diagnosis that we couldn't have planned for. Those are the physical realities of when we feel weakest. Spiritually, too, we sometimes get on autopilot and we think, I've got this. I'm doing pretty good. Things are going well. I'm going to slow down my Bible reading for a season. I'm going to step out of some roles and responsibilities in church and focus on me more, right? I'm going to put my time and emphasis in other places and we remove ourselves from the things that make us strong. And we find out just how weak we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 reminds us, Jesus, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I love quoting this passage of Scripture so often because I, I think so often we do fall into that trap of thinking we've got strength on our own when we need to remember that our strength is in the Lord. The reminder from Paul to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power is obvious. Likewise to the Corinthian church, he reminds his power works best in our weakness. Why is that the case? Why would God's power, why would the Lord's power be stronger in our weakness? It's because we get out of the way. It's because our will gets lost in his. It's because my personal attempts at dodging the enemy's attack are 
worthless compared to putting on the armor of God. Truth is, none of us is strong enough on our own. Truth is, I'm not strong enough. You're not strong enough. We are not strong enough to defeat the enemy on our own. Our strength comes only from the Lord. Maybe you need to say it. My strength is in the Lord. Maybe you need to write it down. Maybe you need to write it on your eyelids. And every time you close your eyes, don't actually do that. I don't think you can do it. Write it on your heart. My strength is in the Lord. The Bible is full of this same reminder all through Scripture. Write one of these on your heart this morning. Isaiah 40, verse 29. God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Amen. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run, not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalms 46, verse 1. God is my refuge and strength, always ready to help in time of trouble. Psalm twenty-two, nineteen. O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. My strength is in the Lord. Hyde Wesleyan Church. We live in a physical world and a spiritual one. There's a battle being waged for the souls here in this space and the souls of our friends, our family members, the neighbor you don't much like. That's the reality. It doesn't all just work out in the end. Everyone doesn't get a trophy. Scripture's clear that the battle has an outcome we're not comfortable with. There will be those who will spend eternity away from a holy God. So much of our energy, of our time, of our words, of our conversation, of our minds is focused on the present reality. When all of this, all that you can see, will be gone in the end. And what will remain? Our eternal souls. In one of two places. In the presence of a holy God. Or away from him for forever. Will you stand? God, give us eyes to see. The unseen around us. Not for the purpose of seeing unseeable things, but for the reminder of what is at stake 
for all of humanity. Lord Jesus, I pray for our church, for every man, woman, and child that's listening to these words. Lord Jesus, I pray again, would you give us eyes to see? If it would be the miraculous way in which Elisha's servant saw the unseen, the unseen army just beyond the veil, ready for action. If it would be like my growing up, Lord, being clued in a little bit into what is being waged all around us. If it would be, as we have talked this morning, the reality of the war going on for the souls of men and women. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and prepare us for battle. Would you give us your strength? Would you remind us of our weakness and your ability in our weakness? Would you help us, Lord, this week to have eyes to see, to not be so caught up in the physical here and now that we lose track of the desire, of the desire you have, Lord, for our soul forever? Would you help us to call the enemy who he is? A murderer, a liar. And would you help us to steer clear of his schemes, his tactics, his pursuits? Help us in these coming weeks, Lord, to learn to put on the full armor of God and to live in the strength of our Lord. And we pray you would add your blessing to all that's been said here. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.